0: Christ. There's a little bit of show and tell for the homily tonight. We, uh, we commemorate this weekend St. Gregory Palamas, icon in the center of the church. He was Archbishop of Thessaloniki in the 1300s. He uh, was canonized very quickly after his death, but he particularly was noted, he was, had been a monk on Mount Athos. And he was a, a great teacher and a defender uh, of, uh, de- of the orthodox teaching about the knowledge of God and how we know God. Uh, I'm not going to get into a lot of detail about that tonight, but I'm going to play with an image that comes up in the discussions that he had, which so is what the show and tell is about. Uh, this is not a magic trick, but I wish I could do one. Of it. Anyway, it just sort of looks like that. Uh, this is a veil. And uh, let's see. Jude, what do you think is underneath the veil? You, you know, take a look at that and guess. You would think it would be an is elephant? It, is it a person? Is it a A present? That's oh, person. That's a, a person. Well, no, it's not a person. It would be a short person. Um, it's not a person. Not a Chevrolet. I mean, uh, it's not an elephant. I mean, you can kind of tell from these things. that. So we will, we'll get back to that. Um, the question of knowing God, I, it was a, a burning question, particularly in my mind and my heart, uh, as in, in my years in college, um, I had kind of gone through some various experiences as a teenager, and uh, early, maybe 19, 20 years old as well, And uh, I, and then some things kind of happened in my life that made me come to a place of questioning, uh, God. Mostly, it was more about questioning me. Uh, I'd kind of been through some stuff, some some pretty emotional religious experiences, and the religious group lived a couple of years in a commune, and it was sometimes pretty extreme. And kind of coming out of that, and thinking I wanted something a little more steady in my life, uh, you, there were questions that came up in my mind, which start having questions like, "How do you know what you know?" You know, uh, and then I found myself in college and uh, studying with you know uh, modern biblical scholars who questioned everything. You know, the way I was raised as a Christian was like you know God said it, I believe it. That settles it. mean, it's like the Bible, you know, the Bible told me so. And suddenly I'm with professors who were not all that keen on the Bible and were taking things apart and showing how you can question stuff and pointing out contradictions and other things like that. And I'm just you know kind of. I had a loss, I don't know quite how to say. I had a philosophy course in college in which the professor, uh, I think, I don't think he was a, well, I know he wasn't a Christian, uh, and I don't think he believed in God either, but he, he kind of you know, did a little bit of philosophical tricks and pretty well, well demolished uh, the philosophical ideas about the belief in God, and you're just sort of, what do you do with that? How do you, how do you believe in God? Uh, Well, this is not just something that occurs to uh, mid-20th century uh, college students in America. Uh, These questions about the existence of God. uh, I mean, the church has not been in the business for 2,000 years of trying to pull the wool over somebody's eyes. You occasionally get uh, really cheap-shot atheists on YouTube channels that would give you uh, that impression uh, that the church has been in business of trying to fool people. Uh, No, these are not... You know, by and large, people don't spend a long 2,000 years dying for something, you know, with tortures and things like that because they're trying to fool somebody, and uh, it was only in the 20th century that we discovered that uh, you could be a false preacher and make millions of dollars like some of them do, but so by and large, it's it's been a a low-paid life, uh, not something you would do if you didn't believe in it. And so it was certainly a a large question for me. And we come to this thing, which is an object with a veil over it. With an object with a veil over it, everybody can see the veil. This is a lovely purple veil. Uh, You know, you can see the veil, and we can spend a lot of time talking about the veil. Uh, One of the things that we would probably all agree on is there's something under the veil. The veils don't just stand up like that. There's something under the veil. Well, St. Gregory Palamas and many other Orthodox theologians of his time and through many years before that uh, had talked about uh, many things, but creation itself uh, and the mystery of the church as well, as veils, which though to to a certain degree hide God, I mean, you know, you go outside and you look at a tree, you don't see God. You look at the sky, you don't see God. But they described a nut as like a wall, but like a veil. I mean, what you get with this veil is you see the shape of what's under it. Yeah? I mean, it's not an elephant. It's not a Chevrolet. It's something tall and skinny. In this case, it was a candle on a stand. The veil of well, hid it. You couldn't exactly see the candle, but the veil also revealed it. It showed something of the shape of what was underneath it. And so, this you begin to get uh, in the teaching of the fathers, in trying to describe uh, one of the things we see about God. We go outside, we see the wonder of the world. And though there's messy things out there, you know, viruses and stuff that'll kill you and everything else, nonetheless it is wonderful will how manifold are thy works, and wisdom hast thou made them all. I was talking this week with some folks, like gold. I've got gold in my wedding ring. I see a lot of little gold wedding rings out there. The gold in your ring came from the collision of two neutron stars sometime before the formation of our planet, sometime before Four, four and a half billion years ago, a couple of stars run into each other, and it has an amazing explosion. It takes an amazing amount of energy uh, to turn the basic hydrogen that's out there in the universe into a heavy element like gold and so that got smashed and there's gold and other kinds of uranium and things like that floating out there and that's among the stuff that all gets gathered together becomes the earth. Well, isn't that I don't know about you, but I just think that's amazing. I mean, that, that and I use that just as an example because the truth is is that the whole universe, all of this, you know, happening I was talking to a molecular biologist this week, and he was describing the, sort of the impossibility of what we have. You know, it's, it's like you, you get the idea from some people that, you know, you just stir up some primitive soup and suddenly, next thing you know, there's life. So they go trotting off to find it on Mars or somewhere else. Well, the truth is, is they can't even make it on Earth. If there's a process by which it just happens, we don't know what it is. There's theories, but there's no one who can do it. It's never been done. And in fact, there's real, real problems with the theory particularly on a watery planet. that Water makes a real problem for certain things like RNA. You just don't get this stuff. There is, there is something, if you will, there's something beneath the veil of all of this. Uh, the scriptures will say how manifold are their works, that we discern beneath the veil of creation the goodwill of a wise creator that not only brought creation into existence with its amazing, wonderful order, but even brought us into existence, intelligent creatures who can say thank you and can give voice to all of this, that there is, there is that about it. So, and more than that, they also said, in the life of the church, they described the church and, and even the mysteries of the church, even the arrangement of a church building, as something of a veil as well, that uh, beneath which were the mysteries of God, and directed us that we could see this. You know, people do this. That we have this, just visitors drop in here, and um, and you know, they've never been into an Orthodox church before. And even though Saint Anne's is pretty plain as Orthodox churches go. You know, I described this as a church. Described as a dental office, or disguised as a dental office. They come in and it's like, I mean, I've had people just say their sense of the presence of God here. Well, there's that, uh, but there's also things that are really strong hints about the presence of God here. The iconostas for one of them, priest for another, the sound of the music we sing. That which the incense that we smell, all of these are veils to a degree. I mean, the veil is taken away when He gives us His body and His blood, and we eat that which is beneath the veil. But we play a game with veils, the pre sanctified liturgy. I've called it sort of holy hide and seek. Uh, You know, I always say that in the church, God hides, and the only purpose God has for hiding is so that He can reveal Himself. He doesn't hide to stay away from us. He hides to draw us towards him. So Jesus will say, you know, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. But God is a God who has to be asked. He's a God who wants to be sought. And he's a God who will put doors in your life. So he will knock. Um, as a college student, I was asking, seeking, and knocking. And it was in the course of that, that I first read uh, about the teaching of St. Gregory Palamas. It was over my head. But I got enough of it that it set me on a path that eventually brought me here. And it's been a long path. Uh, It's been a long path. Uh, But uh, pointing towards these realities. Now, St. Gregory also wrote about the divine light. That there is an experience in the life of the church has been particularly known in many of the monastic and spiritual traditions of actually seeing the light itself of God. Uh, the uncreated divine energies as he called them. The very light of God. The same light the disciples saw on uh, Mount Tabor, the Mount of Transfiguration. The light that Moses saw on Mount Sinai. The very light of God, Moses came down from the mountain, and his, he himself shone with light so much that it frightened the people, and they asked him to please put a veil on his face because they, it shone too much, it frightened them were, they were afraid of Moses. Moses, please hide your face. Uh, but Gregory wrote about that experience. We have other kinds of experiences in which the light seems to shine rather brightly. And that is when we see transfigured lives, the lives of the saints, that have sometimes an inexplainable quality about it. I've always been drawn to uh, some of the stories, especially of modern martyrs, whose sufferings and tortures happened in our time. With all that we know and all the, the dark despair, one of the men who, had, who bore witness to the divine light was a a Romanian priest, Father George Cauce, who uh, eventually was in Washington, D.C., at a Romanian church there. And uh, he had been imprisoned under Ceausescu. He and some others, like Father Roman Braga, and others, they were tortured, uh, Tortures that uh, you, you would want to run out of here if I told you what happened to them. It wasn't mere pain, it was hideous things that were done in complete isolation. Father Roman Braga was in. Uh, uh, solitary confinement we not even able to see the light of, of a window or anything for two years just sort of like in a hole in the ground as, you know, just bringing a little food but in the darkness in the hole and it was there he said that he learned to pray not only did he learn to pray but in his prayer he saw the divine light he saw what you know, many many monks would have spent a, you know, a lifetime on Mount Athos hoping for God gave it to him. His name to Father George Coucher and, and very similar experiences. And I, you know, it's not just that they saw that and they're going, oh, I saw something wonderful. They became like the light. They became transfigured. So, uh, uh, Father Roman Braga, I think both of these men will be canonized in time. Uh, Father Roman Braga said, I thank God for my pr- time in prison. How do you do that? How do you thank God for such horrible things? You're not the only one who spoke that way it, it this is this is because the light um, their light takes a veil off the workings of God oftentimes the the thickest and meanest veils that we have in this life are the veils of suffering and tragedy and evil things that people do, and in that veil, all I can say is i." That mystery of those dark suffering veils hide the mystery of the cross. That the light that is made manifest in the saints, uh, the light that Moses saw, the light that Peter, James, and John saw, is also the light of the cross that enters in and unites itself with the depths of human suffering and even descends into hell. Lo, if I descend into hell, thou art there the psalmist says, um, in that deepest veil of all, uh, the veil of our deaths, yet he is there, the light is there. So I couldn't have said all of that when I was in college and much less in the language that St. Gregory and other Byzantine theologians described it, but the intuition of it uh, was birthed in my heart. I've thought about this suddenly um, because i Today is the 20th anniversary of my ordination as an Orthodox priest. And I've just been thinking a lot today about the journey here. Because I was uh, 17 years, nearly 20 years total in, in ministry in the Episcopal Church before I became Orthodox. And, and I left all that behind. Mother and I, and I, I, Beth and I were talking and I was speculating. I woke up from a nap this afternoon and I was remembering seminary friends and thinking, what happened to them? I mean, I lost touch with them. In fact, I lost touch with the friends of my first, first half of my life because I went somewhere else. I left them behind. Uh, they didn't come with me. Um, and so, and yet I see all of this, what I see is this single thread through all of it, including a lot of wanderings and stuff, but a single thread. Uh, that thread, the light of God, uh, the knowledge of God, in the face of Jesus Christ, um, Discernible and a lot of different veils, finally the veil of the Orthodox Church, in which the outline to me seems so so much more clear. And more than that, and I'll tell you this too, is that in your heart, in your heart, God dwells there. The true and living God dwells in your heart. He is often veiled by our many thoughts. By many of our experiences or the fact of our distractions and everything else that we don't pay attention to it. But he keeps coming to us and saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and this is the door of your heart. If anyone opens to me, I and my Father will come and suffer with him. So Jesus, he's knocking too. And in this case, we're the one hiding. But he is there. And so I would say the most important veil. To encounter and deal with, and by the grace of God to see it removed, uh, is that veil that hides our heart from God. And in doing that, it also hides us from ourselves, our true selves. So, God, give us grace uh, to know God in our heart, to know in Him our true self, and why we were ever created in the first place, and the mystery of all things. To Him be glory. Both now and ever, and unto ages of ages, Amen. I will be available for uh, confessions tonight. Father Daniel, and the family got a little bug running around him, or something, and so uh, I'm celebrant tonight, and I will be tomorrow morning as well. Uh, we're going to be indoors tomorrow uh, because we don't want to drown uh, or get struck by lightning or flooded. Uh, Civil war, famine, flood, whatever, all of those things. So we'll be indoors tomorrow. but um, I'll be available in just a few minutes. Blessings.